You're listening to Conversations with Shonda, a podcast that unpacks the community's grittiest, most vexing problems, hosted by Shonda Smith-Baker. Shayla Michelle, welcome to Conversations with Shonda. I'm so glad that you've accepted the invitation and really pleased to be with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to join you today. I have been watching you out there. So first, I have to just say congratulations on the book, Echo in the Distance. I have been watching you promote it and talk about it. It seems to be a really exciting and rewarding time in your life. It is. It is a a journey. Anytime you're starting something new, it is an adventure. It can feel scary. It can feel overwhelming, Um, but it can also be invigorating because you're entering new spaces, new places, building new friendships, new relationships. And it sometimes kind of forces you out there and forces you um, to kind of tackle the things that maybe you're afraid of. And maybe some of the things that you do well, they're kind of forced out there into the open and you can't really you know, second guess yourself. You just have to go out there and take it on full steam ahead. I think we might be in the same phase. (laughs) We might be. So talk to me about why this book and why right now? So this book was important for me now because I spent about 20 years with this in my head as an idea to do. Um, It started as a spoken word piece when I was a freshman in college. I entered a competition, didn't know if I would win, ended up winning this contest. But as a freshman in college, I didn't have the resources to create this illustrated book. But I always held on to the idea of what would it be like if I took this language and added illustrations to it? I performed it as a spoken word piece. I held on to the idea of it one day being a book, but I never quite turned that corner. And I think a lot of people can relate to that idea of having something in your mind that you want to do and you just kind of put it to the side. You say, oh, I'll do that later. Oh, I'll do that later. And time passes, life goes on and things pile up. Maybe you take a different career path or maybe you have a family, or maybe uh, you go down a different course, and those ideas just kind of stick with you along the journey, but they never leave you, and so this was one of those ideas for me that kind of stayed in the back of my head. I went on. I pursued a career that involved writing. My husband knew that this was an idea that had stuck with me, so a couple of years ago, he said, you've been talking about this for years, We've now been married 10 years. At that time, it was around eight. He said, you've been talking about this for 10 years. My Christmas gift to you is to figure out how to do this. And this is my gift to you to to finance putting this in the world. So I had to get about the business of how do you create a book? How do you put a book into the world? So I had to do the research as far as finding an illustrator, finding a publishing partner, finding out how do I bring this vision to life? And it's scary when you're entering a space that you've never been in before. You don't know what you don't know. It was a little bit overwhelming because you don't want to be taken advantage of. You don't 
know if the person that you're talking to, is this the right fit? Is this the right relationship for me to go down this road? So I had a lot of um, anxiety as I pursued this process, but I feel that the relationships I landed with were some great ones. My illustrator was someone from right here in Minneapolis, her first illustrated book as well. I was on Instagram, scrolling through Instagram, and I just happened to click on this picture and all these vibrant illustrations were right in front of me happened to be scrolling through and I landed on her illustration of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And sometimes I've seen him illustrated and he doesn't look like himself, mm-hmm. um, but he looked like himself in her illustration. And so I reached out to her and I said, I don't know if you have done an illustrated book before, but if you are open to this, I would love to work with you on my book. And her name was Capricia Ambers of KP Inspires. And we embarked on this journey together. She was interested in growing uh, towards learning how to do an illustrated book for kids. And we took this journey together, collaborating on this process of bringing Echo in the Distance to life. And it's through our collaboration that we put this book into the world, a book that we're both proud to share. And it's a book that, I feel is a representation of the realest, truest version of myself. I was a creative writer before I even knew that I wanted to be a journalist. Um, In seventh and eighth grade, I think if we all look back, we probably have that teacher for us that really spoke life to whatever our passion was or whatever that thing was that they saw in us that we did well. And for me, that teacher was Miss Norval. She just saw that writing was my thing. And so Miss Norval was that teacher that was encouraging me to write in middle school. And so um, I always just gravitated to writing. I would go down other paths, but I would always find my way back to writing. For me, this book is the realest, truest representation of me. And it was really important to me as a first book You know, I don't know what books will look like for me beyond this book, but I wanted the first book that I put into the world to not feel like my voice was tampered with or twisted or my words didn't feel like my own. I wanted it to feel like me. I wanted the illustrations to feel like I had uh, some input there too. And I wanted to feel that the book that I was handing to the reader was something that I, along with the illustrator, we were a part of that process and we were proud of the work that we were handing the reader and we had some ownership in that process. So let's talk about Capricia for a minute, a fellow North side of (laughs) Minneapolis resident. I am sitting here and recording this podcast. I have your book and Capricia's pillow that I purchased from Target on my chair right over there. So really, really proud of what is emerging from community and the intentionality of of making connections from community to business, community into making impact and difference. And so I love the organic nature of how that emerged and how you two are traveling this journey together. What have you learned by doing that? 
Well, it was really important to me in this process to work with an artist that might benefit from any exposure that this book might offer. Um, when I started down the road of, of learning how the publishing process worked, I was just amazed just when you look at the industry, just even looking at books about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., illustrated books for kids, just some of the ones, even when you look at Amazon and the books that are on Amazon that are doing really well as far as the, the ones that are considered bestsellers in that space or most rated in that space, um, some of the ones that are the most rated or highest rated are not necessarily books that are illustrated or written by people of color. And so any fear that I personally had as far as putting my voice into the space and my writing into the space, because sometimes there's fear around being judged or putting your writing and your art into the public discourse because you're opening yourself up to criticism and you're opening yourself up um, and allowing something that's very vulnerable to be tampered with. I felt that any fear that I had compared to the need for literature and the need for work to be available for kids to be able to see themselves and their stories told, the need for the work to be out there versus my fear. And so it was really important for me to work with someone who would benefit from any exposure that me putting my work out in the world might create. And so I was really excited to work with Capricia um, and someone that I felt was incredibly talented that maybe a traditional larger publisher, maybe they have their list of publishers, their illustrate, maybe they have their list of illustrators already, and they may not be looking for new voices or new faces or new artists but there are so many talented people out there and I was like I know I don't have a huge platform but what can I do with the platform that I have to create space for someone else to be seen mm -hmm. and I thought that what she was doing was amazing and I wanted to use what space I had to create space for her too I love I love that I love that how we use our platform to make a difference in the lives of others and in our community when I think about just the, the courage and the boldness it takes to take new moves, right? Because we started out talking about a new season of change. You've mentioned sort of the, maybe risk is the word, of putting your um, ideas down on paper, opening yourselves up publicly to criticism. When I think about children's books, that's not where I naturally go. Has there been critiquing of the book? And if so, how so? So I think what's different about what I'm trying to do is that I'm taking a spoken word piece and I'm turning it into an illustrated book. And so the language of my particular book is not the sing-songy um, rhyming language that you typically connect with an illustrated book for kids. And so my book even when we were going through the process of bringing it into the world, even my publishing partner was saying, well, maybe you should 
consider changing some of the words in the piece, or maybe you should consider changing some of the language. And it was really important for me and putting this particular book together. Um, I've had points in my life where I felt like I've had to fit different parts of me into other people's spaces. And I didn't want to enter the world as a creative writer feeling like my first work was a boxed in version of myself. And so it was really important for me as a writer to try to be able to keep this writing um, as close to the original version as possible. And instead of having to make my work what everybody was used to seeing, what if I asked others to stretch to see my vision? And sometimes the challenge of asking others to stretch to see your vision is you have to work a little bit harder to get your vision into the hands mm -hmm. of other people. What um, I love I, about what yeah. you're sharing, Shayla, is that there's so many relatable points, mm -hmm. of, especially for those listening that are creatives, those that just see the world differently, that maybe have learning difference, that approach things from the other ways, right? Mm -hmm. I always think of a lecture company, right? Like one of these things are not like the other. Like I always have felt like I'm quite not like the others in the room, right? Yeah. Like I, I always have a slightly different point of view. And I think that when you emerge that way and you spend life um, or a portion of life trying to get people to see it your way, there is there is additional work that has to happen. And I find it sort of interesting. You and I had at a conversation in prep for this that I found, you know, really relatable in that. And of course, you know, I'm coming from not being an author, an author of children's books at that, where I see lines merging, right? And and just the continuum of how children read what they might be in tune to. And so the lines between personal and professional, the lines between the books that rhyme and the content that is based on history or real events. For instance, the, the books that emerged after 2020 and the murder of George Floyd, I've seen books that talk about death or suicide or losing a parent. Like there, there's things that are heavy contextually that don't have that type of rhyme and, and traditional rhythm to kids' books, but identify that we have young people that have been removed from the realities in our minds, because they're actually not in fact removed, right? From some of the things that we're maybe trying to shelter them from. So I imagine, because I've seen the success of the book that you are running into many yeses. Yes. And I think some of it too is, I mean, I'm kind of in a different space too. I work in television and I have access points that are different than if I were not in television. So if I were trying to create space for this book and I were an author that didn't have that platform even to start from, I think it would be a different ball game. Every time I've gotten even a little bit discouraged, it's like something will pop up in my email or something will happen that'll just kind of propel me to the next thing. Mm -hmm. And so I know that this book is supposed to be in the world. Um, and every single time that I think 
oh man, like, am I on the right path? Something happens to reaffirm you are, because it's still crazy to me when I think about it, that this is my first book. And my first book is taking me to places that I have never been. I went all the way to New York City. I have never been to New York City before. That was in my book of things that I want to manifest. And why did you go to New York City? Can you just tell and share why you were in New York City? Yes, I went to New York City to sit down with Gail King on CBS Mornings and talk about this book. And this book is literally taking me to places I have never been. I had never been to New York City. This was in the list of things that I wanted to manifest. I had wanted to meet Gail King. So you can have all these things that you want to do. And then just checking one off the list, the book, all of a sudden you start seeing others just start coming right off the list to New York came off the list meeting Gail came off the list. And, you know, I'm excited to see what other things eventually come off the list. Um, but it's, it's having the courage to start or do one kind of paves the way for others. So it's forcing me into new things. And it's not that, you know, I, I'm a shy person. I'm an extroverted person in part through my job, but I do have introverted tendencies. Like I do have to have those moments to recharge uh, where it's like, okay, I, I gotta have those moments to recharge. But the book is sort of kind of, it's kind of forcing me to be a bit more out there in a way that I think prior to the book, yeah. I would be a little bit more reserved than I am now, where I'd be like, it's also vulnerable, right? Because it's a it's a yeah. per, way more personal. Yes. Yeah. So you you have referenced television in your day job. So yes. uh, but we really started out talking about the book, which is which is way more personal and evolution that started yes. in your college days. Yes. So your day job, you're on television doing what? So I'm a television news journalist and I've been an anchor and reporter. Um, and I have a chance to tell some pretty compelling stories, meet incredible people, and I'm excited that that journey has landed me in Minneapolis, and hopefully we get to spend a lot more time here together. I've been here a couple of years. So in the mornings, I am running around telling you what's going on around town in Minneapolis, <laughs> and uh, at noon, I'm telling you what's going on in the community. And then when I'm not doing that, I am busy either emceeing something around town or telling you about the book. But I am really enjoying the experience of being in community. Minneapolis is really, I've lived in a lot of different places, but this is really the first community where I've been able to entertain being still. Um, a lot of places that I've lived after I've been there a couple of years, it's like, okay, what's next? You know what I love? Because when we met, you you were like, I love being here. And I know that I was probably like, really? And I think other people have responded <laughs> that way because the last three years have been so tough. And we became, you know, known globally, really, for one of our worst moments that at least was put on film. Right. In May of, of 2020, um, certainly that is not the only bad thing that has happened here, but it was it was witnessed by many in, in global. And so 
you know, as, as a black woman coming here saying, this has been a place that is embraced is, is a different narrative than what maybe has been out there. So what has made this place special? What has made even more globally cities more welcoming for you than perhaps other places that you have either visited or lived? So I was really intentional about coming here in the sense that I was like other people in other parts of the world when George Floyd was murdered. I was somewhere else watching the images come across the screen. And when I came to Minneapolis, I was intentional in the sense that I thought about the specific things that I have been told throughout my career that I do well. And there are two things that have followed me throughout my career. First, people like to talk to me. And two, if I have to learn sad news, I want to learn it from you. Mm. And I personally felt that the specific things that I do well would make a difference in a community like this one at a time like now. And I felt that there would be a lot of people with a lot of stories to tell. A lot of people receive all of us differently as journalists. And there may be people that connect with me differently than they connect with my colleagues. And I look at myself as a place for stories to land. And if someone looks at me as a place of, oh, I'm going to reach out to her, or I feel comfortable connecting with her, then that's one more opportunity for us to know about something going on in the community. That's one more opportunity for us to consider a voice we can put in our show. It's one more um, experience that we can consider sharing with our viewers. And it's one more chance for us to connect the people who watch us with something going on in their neighborhood. Um, and so if how I show up in the world creates a point of connection for people to know what's going on in their neighborhood, then I look at that as being a benefit in a place like Minneapolis at a time like now. And so I considered that as being a meaningful move at a time where the things that I do well could make an impact. And I think a lot of people that get into journalism, I think we all kind of get into it for different reasons. Um, I have always enjoyed storytelling. Um, even the kid back in seventh grade, eighth grade, that's me at my core. Um, and I always just connect with people, whether it's I'm telling you a story for television or I'm standing in the line at the grocery store. Like somebody will just come up and start telling me their story. And my husband will leave me on the aisle and I will look behind me and he has left me because somebody has stopped, just walked up and started telling me their story. Um, and I don't think that that's something that's just an accident. I think it's just to how you show up in the world is a place of comfort for people to feel connected in that way. Um, and then I feel as well um, that this is the first place that I've worked where I've genuinely felt, I feel genuinely supported as a journalist to bring stories to television um, that highlight the humanity of communities of color. Mm -hmm. And when I 
pitch those stories, I'm getting, yes, let's bring that story to television. And I think that's meaningful when you go out into communities that say, I don't watch the news because I haven't always felt that the news reflected the neighborhood and the people that I see every day when I walk out the door and I look around my neighborhood and I, you know, see what's happening in my community. And I know that when I go in my newsroom, I have managers who say, I see the value in the humanity of storytelling and bringing stories to television that highlight the humanity of communities of color. And I, as a journalist, am in a place where I'm being supported and bringing those stories to television. Um, I think that how you show up in those difficult moments are just as important as how you show up when things are easy. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that that matters uh, both as a journalist and as a person. And people want to know, you know, how are you as a person? And I think that how I show up in the world as a person matters just as much as how I show up in the world as a journalist. Um, and I'm finding in this particular community, all the things that I do well have a, have a home here. And I don't have to fraction myself off. I can be a full person in television here. We both have experienced um, a loss of a parent recently, right? Um, your dad last year and my mother in 2020. And I bring this up not to re-trigger our grief, but to recognize sort of the legacy of the way that we lead and how we move forward. And I've seen sort of a really touching tribute that you did on social media. And I think it was when you went to New York mm -hmm. and you were sort of like, you know, daddy, if you could see me now, right? Like if you could see me now. And so could you just talk uh, a bit about the importance of, of legacy and what you're hoping that you can do from the legacy of your family, of your dad, or wherever, wherever that question takes you. Grief is one of those areas where it can be um, easy to get stuck. And I think sometimes people find themselves stuck in grief. You can get stuck there for years. Um, and the loss of a parent can kind of make you lose your center um, and you can't get out of that grief. Um, and it's hard to go on. When my dad um, was nearing his end of life, one of the things that he worried about that my mom had shared with me is he said that he wasn't worried about my mom in passing, that he was worried about me. And he was specifically worried about that in grief, I would stop living and doing all the things that I had always done in life that made him proud. And so it took me maybe his whole last full week of living to finally have a conversation with him just to say to him that I wouldn't stop living, that I would continue to do all the things that I had always done in life to make him proud and that I wouldn't allow grief to change how I lived um, because he had done so much for me in life. I didn't want him to leave earth with that worry um, that, you know, I'm leaving earth or I'm trying to hold on because um, I'm just worried what my loss is going to do to her. 
Um, and so I didn't want him to leave earth with that worry. You just struck me with something because I feel like for me, I feel like the grief did, did change me. I did change. Not like, as in like, stop living, but I feel like I live differently as a result of that grief. Yes. I think I'm living a little bit differently now. I live more and mm-hmm. live out loud in a different way. Um, my dad was very excited about this book and he knew that this book was in progress. I had had a chance to show him some of the illustrations before he passed. Uh, when he was in the hospital, he uh, saw some of the pictures from his uh, hospital bed for my phone screen. So he knew that this was coming. He was very excited about it. One of the things that he had always shared or had shared in the months prior to his passing is that he had wished that he had thought to write a book. So one of the things that I would love to do with the book that I want to write about uh, women, daughters losing a father figure in grief is to make my dad a co-author on that book Mm. because I would not have had that story to tell if I didn't have the specific experience that I had with my own dad growing up. Um, Just the message of comfort that you get in that specific book. Um, I wouldn't have had that message to offer if I didn't have the specific life experience and relationship that I had with my own dad to be able to share that with someone else. So I want to make my dad a co-author on that experience. Um, But what's been really interesting, I think, in um, his passing is that even though, you know, he's no longer here, it was really important for me to see the book journey through to completion, because this was something that I had started before he passed. And so sort of seeing it through to fruition was sort of starting something and seeing it through that I knew that he was really excited about. But I don't think he or I could have foreseen the journey that the book has taken us on so far. I mean, just the fact that, you know, we've gone to New York and I've met Gail King. When I went to New York, I had a picture of my dad in the pocket of my dress uh, when I went there. And it's just, uh, just for me, even the journey that I'm on, I have moments where I'm thinking, man, dad, can you believe what we're doing? Because Mm -hmm. he's still very much present. And in the moments when I feel emotional, it's because he's here and because he's present. Because when I feel emotional, it's because I know he's there. Um, And so I I know that he sees all of it and he's there for all of it. Um, And he's very much present for all of these things. Mm -hmm. And I know that he's very much proud of me and all of the things that I'm accomplishing, but the very interesting part of all of it is the journey that the book is taking me on. It's forcing me to live life out loud. And the thing that he was most afraid of, this idea that I would stop living, it's forcing me to live and do all of these things. And it's forcing me into life. And it's almost like this sort of God wink that, oh, she's not going to be in this corner. She's not going to be living this uh, life that 
you know, is so different from the one she always lived while you're here. She's out in New York. She's out chasing her dreams. She's out conquering the world. She's going to be okay. And that's the greatest gift that I could give my dad is to keep going. And I think it's so easy to get stuck in grief. And I think um, it's very sad when you lose someone, but I think the greatest gift that anyone can give someone that they lose, that they really care about is to keep going and keep doing all the things that they did in life that really made them proud. And so the greatest gift I can give my dad is to keep creating this vibrant life around this book and chasing my dreams and um, seeing where it leads. And, um, you know, I'm crazy enough. I'm a workaholic sometimes. So if somebody says, if somebody says, you know, 40,000 books in two years, I'm like, "Mm, that's a lofty goal, but it's not impossible if you think you can do it I'm like I don't I don't it's it's a lofty goal but I will put it in my book of things I want to manifest and just see what happens um because I'm constantly surprised by the things that have happened so far and um you know it's it's not beyond me that my wildest dreams could come true I look I appreciate because I can feel all the emotion and I love it right like so thank you for for giving that to us because clearly the love and appreciation that you have for your father is there because I lost my mother I I have more of an intentionality of finding time to just say their names and their importance in the documented way that just putting out because they are the the not so hidden super heroes of our lives that contributed hours and hours of worry and commitment and intentional seeding into us what is now blooming and that has been blooming and that will bloom into generations of of our lives manifested through those that we touch. Yes. In those legacies, sometimes we just don't give the breath to it. Yes. So I wanted to just give breath to it. Yes. Right. And um, to just see your face both light up in appreciation. Yes. Right. And, you know, I'm in transition and you are part of the season of relaunching, right, of rewiring in my life. The conversation with Shonda Logo in the eye, you will see a dragonfly. And the dragonfly has many meetings of transformation and renewal. But one of the other meanings is that a loved one is communicating with you when you see it. And when I thought about what I wanted to do in this season, I knew that it needed to say to me that my mother and everyone that's came before me that is seated into me was communicating to me still that where I am, they are also 
So I needed to have a brand that brought that with. So in a sense, they're always in my pocket. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. They're never too far away. They're never too far away. Yeah. And I totally connect with that too. And that's, that's how I feel. And, you know, every time I, you know, even feel a little bit emotional, it's because my dad is here and that's him. Um, and you know, that's when I feel most connected, um, in those moments. And so, you know, when the journey feels really hard, that's when you have to be still for a moment Mm -hmm. and just be present, um, and take that moment and then keep going. And you may not have all the answers in real time. Um, and sometimes, um, you have to take a moment and, Take it through and try to find your footing again, but that's life. And um, mm-hmm. sometimes you have to take that time and just uh, regroup and then take the next step. Yeah, I was with someone last week and, and she had recently lost her mother. And she said, yes. having now lost a parent, right? That she realizes that she has encountered people that have never addressed their grief. Mm-hmm that there's a really particular way, right? This is her and her experience. There's a really particular way that people that have escaped their grief and fed it with other things operate Mm -hmm. than people that confront it. And that has really, I've thought about it several times, probably daily since she said it. And I think that it's so important. And I think it threads through so much of our conversation of, what we have experienced, not just in our local community in Minneapolis, where we both are sitting, but across this country, whether or not it was with the pandemic or other um, very public deaths that we have witnessed to things that might happen in local community, because there's been so many tragic things that have happened and losses that we've experienced individually and collectively, that when we just work, when we just keep moving in the absence of really sitting in silence or sitting in community or in absence of talking through what those moments have meant, that we're just masking in many ways the grief that we've experienced. And um, I think if anything for me, um, I have given myself more permission and more grace to talk about all of all of what I represent, right? Like all of the things, including the days that I'm not feeling so good or I'm feeling sad or whatever it is. So I loved how we started when you said that you are in a space in your life, um, in your work, and in this new venture in which Shayla can show up 100% Shayla. Yes, yes. And that is okay. And another um, conversation that I recently had with a friend is, is once I kind of am there, I want to talk about getting there because I think a lot of what people see is people see how you show up every day. Like they see you, they see you in your role in, in television. They see you um, succeeding as an author, but they don't always get to 
talk about maybe the challenges it took to get that book into the world or the challenges that it took to get in front of the camera that day because real people face human things every day people on television face human things every day um, authors face human things every day um, and it's okay if you do as well you may not be on camera every day um, but I think one of the ways that I hope to connect with people just in the various mediums in which I exist and I share this even in how I show up in television is I try to have the courage to try new things and I try new things in very public television spaces and I'm not the fastest person the tallest person the best person at everything I try but it's just the courage to try new things sometimes gives other people permission to try new things too. And I'm not going to be great at everything that I try. And fortunately, the people who are watching, they don't have to do all the new things in front of a camera. But it's just showing people that it it's okay to not be good at everything. It's okay to get out there and try something new. It's okay to go out and explore that new park or go out and try that new winter sport or go out and explore that new thing. And it's okay if you know, you're know you out there doing it and maybe you fall down the first two times and you get up the third, but you're not gonna be good at everything, but don't just not try because you're afraid of not being good. Yeah. So and what, I'm not good at a lot of things and I've been trying so many new things over the last even, few years in even, Minnesota for the first time. <laughs> don't even get me started. What what has been your biggest aha uh-huh on your journey to your discovering your fullest self? I think the biggest aha uh-huh for me would be I can tell you now because I used to look for news to show me who I was for a long time, just in life. I was looking for news to show me who I was. But now I can tell you, I am a creative, deep thinker who loves to laugh and help other people see the best of who they are. News is what I do. It's not who I am as a person. Um, And it took me a long time to get there, but I'm there. And I'm glad that I'm there. And I like that I'm here. Yay. How do you feel about the path that you're on? Because it's always scary starting something new, I feel. How scared do you feel about where you are? Or do you feel scared at all? Yeah, you know, I live with a level of fear genuinely because I'm always trying to lead a little bit on an edge. Right. Like, you know, whether or not whatever I'm doing, I'm trying to tip towards the edge. Right. And so in this transition of, of leaving the foundation, becoming an, an entrepreneur in a new way, um, I would say I'm about 30 percent scared. Right. Just enough to get me up earlier every day and to keep me up a little bit later not in a sleepless way, but in a way that 
is um, fueled by new creative energy, by the reality of um, building and shaping and reimagining. Um, I would say people are like, oh, you retired. I'm like, yeah, I'm a bit of a retirement, right? I'm retiring from some things I don't wanna ever do again. I'm retiring from some behaviors, from some things that I just really say, okay, that's the end of that, that season of my life, not in a negative way, but as in, I don't wanna do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And then it's a little bit of rewiring which is a reframe of when I was talking to the same woman that was sharing about her mother, Gail, she said, well, maybe it's more of a rewiring. And I would say that at this point, it's rewiring how I see myself in the world, um, how I need to look at things. Because I, like you, my identity is not attached to a place, right? I, my identity is attached with who I am and how I show up for people. And I can continue to do that. So there is comfort in that. But yeah, I'm about 30%. Like I better get up and grind every day or some things are not going to be the same in my world, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so I feel, really, I feel really good about it. And I think that that's enough to fuel me. What are you learning about yourself so far on this journey? What I have learned is that now that I'm old enough, and have transitioned enough, I've learned particular patterns about myself that when I have transitioned from roles have been when I also have had life transitions. So when I left being um, a president and CEO was when my daughter graduated. Mm -hmm. When I left this role, it was on my youngest 18th birthday. Um, when I moved into this role, um, my mother wasn't doing well. Like I have these inflection points that intersect with what's happening in my, my life, right? That, that they're actually not separate, that I have been a parent my entire adult life. Becoming a parent at 21, I have been a parent my entire adult life. And that now not parenting a child in K-12, I can think differently about how I work. I can organize my life differently. I can rewire all of the patterns and routines of my day in life, in my marriage, everything differently. But in order for me to do that, I have to disrupt what it looks like. So this is a point of disruption. What I like is I'm not someone who sustains I'm someone who creates. And so I create and then I got to move. And so I had not been in a position longer than seven years. And um, I was, you know, I was almost at six. And so I've learned, I mean, very consistent things about, about myself. And so I'm in a great season. I feel, I feel joy. I feel joy. I feel embraced. I feel supported. I feel the confidence of whatever I don't know and whatever I need exists. And I feel the maturity from when I was younger and felt like I had to have it in my body in order for me to move to now I just need it in my network in order to make something move. You sound grounded. I, I'm so good. I feel yeah. good. 
I just felt good. Yeah, that's awesome. So yeah. do you, would you say, it's a, do you feel like you're reinventing you or what do you feel? What do you feel? I that's absolutely feel like a reinvention. And I think, uh, that, you know, I'm not, and I'm glad you even asked me that because I hadn't thought about it this way. But uh, I think that part of maybe the, the seasons of six or seven years. And when I think about the, the number seven and the, the number being one of completion, I'm sure that within that time frame, I'm thinking, look, I'm about tired of this season of my life. It's time for me to think differently about me. Like, how do I continue to push myself to be the best version of me? That me becoming static doesn't feel satisfying for me, right? That even a little bit of renewal that may not be obvious to everyone allows me to continue to feel fresh for me. Right. Right. And I need my spirit to feel fresh and I need to feel like I'm in accordance with the plan that has been laid out for me. Yeah. And um, I was feeling pushed to do that plan. And I am, I am thankful. I'm thankful. And um, this was a big leap of faith. You know, I'm more planned. You know, people are giving me lots of advice yeah. <laughs> right now and telling me all the steps. But you know, I'm I'm more planned than what it might look like, and I'm and I'm just enough unplanned to, to keep the plan working. So, yeah, thank you for that. I am so grateful that you are here. I'm grateful that you wrote this first book that has been manifesting in your plan since your college days, I'm grateful for your father who planted a seed in you that is blooming in your parents, um, that you are able to live that legacy and hold him in your pocket for your life, that his dreams um, will continue to to unfold for all of us. um, And that when you are seen, we know that we are seeing him, whether or not we know that or not, that we um, hold for you an ability for people to see what you put out on this earth and that everybody buys up those 40,000 copies. Um, <laughs> Echoes in the Distance by Shayla Michelle. You can head over to echointhedistance.com and I'll link you to Amazon and all the places where you buy your books. Thank you so much. Thank you for being on Conversations with Shonda. To explore more insightful conversations and stay updated on Shonda Smith-Baker's work, visit our new website at smithbaker.co. That's smithbaker.co.